Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Organic BC, a nonprofit organization that celebrates, champions, and advocates for the organic sector and broader organic community in British Columbia. Learn more at organicbc.org. My name's Jordan Marr. I'm a BC-based organic farmer, and I'm the host of this podcast. In late 2020, in light of uncertainty caused by the pandemic, Organic BC developed an alternative to its regular in-person annual conference. The conference was mostly online, and its centerpiece was a 40-episode podcast that it produced for conference ticket holders. Our intention was to eventually make these episodes available for free to the public, and what you're about to hear is one of those episodes. Our plan is to release them all on this podcast feed over the next few months. Meanwhile, the Organic BC Conference Committee is busy planning your next conference, which will, once again, take place in person. But it's also going to include a smaller slate of new podcast episodes to be released in January. I'll provide more info about all of that throughout the fall, but for now, I hope you enjoy this episode from the 2021 conference podcast. Oh, and by the way, we also incorporated the annual conference trade show into this podcast series, so we may or may not be taking a break in the middle of this episode for a short trip to that trade show. You'll know what I mean if you hear it. Okay, talk to you at the end, everybody. Hey, everyone. It's Jordan, your podcast MC. This episode features the first installment on the theme of Wholesale Buyer Perspectives, this time, I speak with Lisa McIntosh of Kelowna-based organic grocery delivery service, Urban Harvest. Lisa sources a lot of locally and regionally produced organic food for Urban Harvest. In fact, she's been so supportive of our industry over the years that the COABC bestowed its Brad Reed Award on her in 2019, which is given to an innovative leader who has strengthened the organic community by moving the sector forward. Anyway. In this conversation, Lisa shares her advice for establishing and increasing your business relationship with a wholesale buyer like Urban Harvest. We'll have a few more episodes in this series coming, so if you like this one, keep an eye out for them in later episodes. We'll also visit the conference trade show again, this time a trip to the Omri booth. Hi, my name is Lisa McIntosh and I own Urban Harvest Organic Delivery in Kelowna. We've been operating a home delivery service for the past 20 years throughout the uh, central Okanagan area and we work as much as we can with local organic growers and then we supplement with produce coming from outside the region. Lisa McIntosh, thanks a lot for joining me on the podcast. Hello. Lisa, we're, we're going to talk today about your business and about your work with uh, various local and regional suppliers of organic produce, okay. but I, first I, I heard you record your bio and I want to add that you are a Brad Reed Award recipient, which um, is something that the province's main organic organization, the CUABC, gives out to people who have made uh, very important and long-standing contributions to our industry and you received it a couple of years ago. So that, that you of course were not going to mention in your bio, but I can do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, thank you. I hadn't really thought of that. Um, yeah, but actually I just received the package. Um, I, I get to help decide who's going to be this year's Brad Reed uh, Award winner. So I'm looking forward to reading through those. Awesome. Um, okay, so you've you talked a little bit about your business in in your bio, but could you could you talk a little more specifically about just about your relationships with provincially and regionally and locally based suppliers? Just give us a sense of of how those relationships work and are structured. Okay, uh, well, I'll see if I hit the mark here. Um, okay, so we we work directly with with a number of growers in the South Central and North Okanagan, meaning that we arrange the purchasing and the delivery logistics directly with those growers. Um, and then 
really for anything coming outside of this region, we're supported by, um, we, we use Discovery Organics and Pro Organics. So anything coming from the Lower Mainland or Vancouver Island or other parts of BC, um, and then f- further to those regions as well. Um, so yeah, for, for some of the growers within this direct local area, we've been working with them for the past 20 years and we've built a relationship where we rely on their supply and they rely on they rely on our market and we do some informal planning together, uh, usually at the beginning of the season, just sort of January, February, um, so that they're earmarking crops for us. Um, and then throughout the season, we would give preference to those pre-planned crops first so that we're honoring that relationship but of course if something falls through or if we need more or the timing works out differently then we're very open to buying from other growers as well Uh, and then we do lots of just sort of on the spot buying um, based on what people are telling us the week before they have available we plan a few days ahead Uh, in our case we're planning Wednesdays for the following Monday receiving Um, so so anything that's coming my way in terms of supply I I factor in what's pre-planned first and then um, fill out a good selection with what else we can get locally and then fill in those gaps with what we're not getting locally Um, and so and we're very seasonally based obviously so we're we don't have absolutely every vegetable under the sun every week. Um, and I try to cap our, our list at about 60 produce items. So occasionally there's, you know, certain, maybe I, maybe I can't take radicchio one week because we've already got a, a long list of items available. Um, but we, we try to take as much as we can from local growers. And maybe, maybe really briefly, you could give us some kind of sense of scale. If you don't want to get into specific numbers, that's okay. But, but yeah, is, no, that's it, is it fair to say you're in a given week, you're delivering in the hundreds, like hundreds of orders around the central economy? Yeah, yeah. Um, since, oh, well, since COVID particularly, we've been capping things, uh, aiming between 500 and 600. 600 is a really sort of uncomfortable stretch for us and <laughs> five, 500 is getting pretty easy and we tend to round out about 550 right now in, in the busy winter season. We did slow down just slightly in the summer, but not nearly as much as we would in a normal summer. So um, yeah, the, the demand obviously probably for all of us has been very strong since COVID hit. So what I'm what I'm inferring from what you've told me so far is that someone who does not have a relationship with you who would like to, it's not likely they would immediately become like a regular supplier, but that a good way in is to start filling gaps for, for you like during the season. Is that yeah, fair, yeah, to, exactly. fair to say? Okay. Um, yeah. So, so we're not going to need kale in October, chances are. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, especially if they've got something unique or um, shoulder season stuff is awesome. Um, anything green in November is a big treat. <laughs> okay. Well, that's um, that's hitting on one yeah. point I wanted to cover. Yeah. Is that one one yeah. way to um, one one way one way to get started is just to ha- like you use the the right word unique. Um, just, mm-hmm. just something that the, the market is otherwise not filling very well is one strategy to, to start that relationship with you. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other strategy was I could, I could certainly let people know what we're getting from other parts of BC, um, at any given point in time, which would indicate that we probably could grow it here in the Okanagan, but we aren't getting it in the Okanagan. So, uh, we we run out of local potatoes pretty early most falls um so that's that's one possibility um anyway but i'm i'm always happy to give information to people um who might be looking for a market or might be looking for direction 
I, I am, I'm not the best at saying what the gaps are because they change from year to year. You know, we might think we have a great supply of something and then all of a sudden we don't <laughs> or we haven't quite done the planning that we thought we'd done and and end up, say, short on spinach in September. But um, but yeah, otherwise, I'm, I'm always happy to have those conversations. Um, and then what I what I tell people is to if they can send me a fresh list on Wednesday, the more information in that list, the better, just because it's it's going to help with the initial planning. So what I need to know as a home delivery service is what a unit looks like. So if somebody is trying to sell squash by the pound, that's going to be really challenging for me because squash can range from you know, one to 10 pounds each, right? And so I don't know what the unit cost is. So I need to know um, how many you have at 250 each, how many you have at 350 each, um, that kind of thing so that I can work that into my plan. Um, so we can do that together, but if you if you're able to provide that information up front, that's really helpful. Um, and I'm I'm super happy to share what I'm paying other growers in a general sense. I'm not going to name names, but just to give sort of market parameters if people aren't sure of pricing. And then the other thing for for newer growers or growers not used to wholesale, that's really important is is how how you're packaging to ensure that. Um, that it's going to maintain its quality and that that we can stack it in our coolers effectively. So broken, falling down or falling apart boxes are going to be really challenging <laughs> or non-organic boxes, not okay. So those kinds of things are conversations that I would have with a new grower as well. I, or a new to us grower, I would and say. Can we talk about um, the sizes of the farms you work with in the sense mm-hmm. of, Gee, if I, you know, if, if I have a really small acreage and I hear that you're doing hundreds of orders a week, I, I may be thinking, oh, there's there's no point in reaching out to you. There's no way I could in for one item I could supply enough. Um, oh yeah, good question. Um, but no, and um, so in our in our boxes, we will have. Uh, depending on the size of box, it'll, we'll have 10 to 15 standard items in the box. And those are going to be items that we need larger quantities of. Then we've got our um, family boxes will have extra items and um, those will be more moderate quantities. Um, well, first of all, let me start go back and say that um, the amount of items is also going to depend on how our customers substitute in their boxes. So even though we might be delivering 550 orders out, we might only need 175 celeriac because that's all the customers that want the celeriac that particular week. Um, and then in, in our family boxes, we might only need sort of 80 to 160 items uh, of something. And then if we're listing something as an add-on to our boxes, it could be as low as 25 units. Uh, I probably wouldn't go below 25 units just because it seems pointless to list it. But we could, you know, if somebody had 25 salad mix and we didn't have salad mix that week, we'd be happy to take that and list it. Um and then, you know, the add-on items could go up to 100 units or maybe even more if it's something highly popular with customers. So anyway, there is there is lots of flexibility flexibility on volume and we have the ability to cap what we're listing as well. So if a farmer says, I've got this, I've only got 48 units, I can list that and, and we'll be just fine. What about, can we talk about... Um... You know, you mentioned a consideration for for newbies to think about as packaging um, and and mm-hmm. and the needs of of a buyer like you. What about what about pricing? Because someone who hasn't whole, sold in a wholesale uh, way before um, need, needs to understand just the the how how pricing works up up the supply chain. So, is there right. is there any comment you want to make about that? Um, hmm. It's 
I know that there are lists out there that I, I think the CIBC puts out a list, does it not? Yeah, I was more thinking just like um, someone, say, who who primarily sells through the farmer's market need, mm-hmm. is going to probably expect to need to sell a little bit lower to you. Is that is that do, would you say that's true or, or am I is that a wrong assumption? Yes, that is true. Um, so we're we're going to aim to sell at a similar price to what a customer is used to paying it for paying for it. So and obviously we need to build in a margin for ourselves as well. So um, I I don't know that I have information to give you about an exact margin because it it will vary a little bit, and um, sometimes we're able to make up our margins overall by by the less expensive produce that's coming into the region. So, you know, if I have to pay a little more um, for a local item, that's usually just fine by me if it's something I don't already have. So, I I mean, farmers are, I encourage farmers to set their own prices based on their needs. I will share information if it seems high or low compared to what I'm paying elsewhere. Um, and, And I will let them know if it's too low as well because I don't see the point of them underselling. Um, but in, I don't have a general rule of like how much, what percentage they should expect to drop from, from market. Cause that's probably going to vary per item and, and what everybody else is charging in relation to what they're nor- used to charging at the farmer's market. Lisa, is can that we, helpful at all? To- totally. To- <laughs> totally. I, I, I mean, I only asked just because, you know, I'm at a scale where I, you know, I, I only do a little bit of sale, wholesale, wholesale right. selling and, and, uh, um, you know, it, it can, when you first doing it, it can, you know, you, you need, you need to wrap your head around that and also appreciate that, that yes, you're going to probably take a lower price, but you know, you're going to move more all at one time, which yeah. is, which has value. I guess, I guess that's what I would add to it. Yes. Um, so if a farmer feels like they're taking a hit and they feel like it, it's an uncomfortable thing to take a lower price, that probably means that they can sell it elsewhere and should sell it elsewhere. Like, I think they do need to be prepared that it's going to be a lower price. And that's because they have the volume that they want to move and it's going to save them the time and labor of trying to take it around to multiple places. So, so yeah, I think they have to see that there's a value in selling to us. And if there's not a value in selling to us, then it probably doesn't make sense to do so because they probably can sell it elsewhere. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good way to put. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. So it shouldn't we... hurt to take a hit, is what I'm saying. Like it should. There should be. <laughs> yeah. Should be a value in selling to us on both sides. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Awesome. Lisa's gonna take this, these hundred bunches of of beets, and I didn't know where I was sending those. Otherwise, this is great. <laughs> um, yeah, and and it should also be such that that they are able to make a profit even with the lower price, right? Mm-hmm. Like if. Uh, I mean, once in a while, you might have a bumper crop and you've just ended up with something too much and you've got to move it. Fair enough. But but in a in your business program, you you should be growing the quantities that you can sell so that you don't end up with sad and unhappy bumper crops. Right. Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. say. Uh, Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) Sure. So. Um, Lisa, I just, I, I'd love to just talk about some best practices in managing a relationship. All right, so it's time for another visit to the COABC Conference Trade Show. And for this episode, I'm going to be talking to Peter Bungham. Uh, with the Organic Materials Review Institute, otherwise known to most of you as OMRI. Peter, thanks a lot for for joining us here. 
Thanks. It's great to be here. Peter, I'm, I'm going to start with the simplest of questions. What is Omri? Uh, so I think of Omri, for the most part, as a service. And we're trying to serve uh, three primary groups. We're trying to serve farmers who are using organic inputs on their farms and the ways in which they, they can use those materials. We're also trying to do some background work so that the certifier can focus on other aspects of, of the review. We will look into the formulations of a material and the, the compliance with various organic standards. And then also people who are um, uh, making organic inputs. So, so uh, people that uh, apply to have their products listed by Omri. We are providing a marketing service for them where they can use our seal to help communicate to uh, certifiers and producers that their products are compliant. The the marketing symbol, the Omri, the Omri logo, is really there as a communication tool to try to help everybody understand um, what can be used uh, within uh, uh, for organic uh, agriculture in terms of in terms of input. Peter, I I think not all operators uh, know or understand that that logo for a given product is connected to a much larger cache of information that you, they can look up on the Omri website. So the, the Omri seal right now communicates that the product was reviewed for some purpose within organic agriculture uh, or organic production and handling. Um, there's just too much information to convey about the product that um, uh, than what you can accomplish with a simple little seal. What they would want to do is get on their smartphone, get on their, their home computer, and go to Omri's website and look up the product. The, the Omri seal and the Omri website, are they're essential to go hand in hand. Peter, how does Omri fit into the Canadian organic landscape? Uh, so Omri has been reviewing products um, uh to the core standard since 2013. And for suppliers, getting a product Omri listed is beneficial because the majority of organic growers can recognize the Omri seal. Uh, we also um, uh, participate a lot in the development of the uh, uh, Canada standard. Uh, and we are we're very um, invested in making sure that those that those updates to the standard are as clear as possible. So, so we provided um, a very extensive list of suggestions for, for making changes that hopefully will make those standards easier for people to, um, uh, to, to understand. Well, Peter Bungham, I've, I've, I'm exiting this conversation with a much better understanding of, of Omri, and I, I, I assume that'll be the same for our, for our listeners. So thank you very much for, for the conversation and for participating in our trade show. Thanks so much, Jordan. I've really enjoyed talking to you. To learn more, head to omri.org. That's O-M-R-I dot org. Lisa, I just, I, I'd love to just talk about some best practices in managing a relationship with you, some do's and don'ts. And, and uh, I hope you will um, feel comfortable emphasizing the don'ts as, 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 as much as you will the do's. Um, um, sure. Because it's important for 
for farmers just to hear what, you know, a little bit of criticism, especially when you don't have to criticize, criticize a specific farmer. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So dues are uh, lots of information up front is great. Um, sending it by text or email is preferable. I, I find it hard to do these things over the phone. Like we can definitely have a phone conversation um, on, you know, things that we maybe need to discuss more, like wh what is the squash unit going to look like? Or, um, you know, what would a bunch size be for carrots? Maybe we need to have a discussion with for something like that over the phone. But generally lists and pricing and volumes, definitely text or email. Um, definitely, can, I, can, I, can I stop you there? Because um, yes. I just want to emphasize this myself because it happens to me in the other direction when I'm, say, selling to restaurants sometimes. Is right. The, the, the time cost of like four texts or emails back and forth versus two is is like can be huge. And I it, it's a pet peeve of mine when I get a text, say, from a chef saying, do you have radishes? Uh, right. What I want to get is a text that says, do you have radishes? I'm looking for 20 pounds of French breakfast and I need it now. So that I don't, right. it, I don't have to like ask follow-up questions. And I imagine it's the same totally. with you because I've yeah. done a little bit of business with you. And so I think an ideal, an ideal say text to you is, Hey Lisa, I'm sitting on a, a lot of beats. Um, and so or anytime in the next two weeks, I could sell up to 200 bunches. I could do a mixture of golden and candy cane, um, and anything else I and can here's think. What I, here's the price range I'd like to get. Yeah, yeah. Just so that you <laughs> yeah. can you can just execute a decision like pretty quickly without having to ask yes, a bunch of follow-up exactly. questions. Exactly. Yeah, I, you're right. I don't want a cascade of text. That's true. <laughs> but I'm thinking of things for like in terms of sharing list information, like sending a fresh sheet. I don't want to discuss that over the phone mm -hmm. unless we've unless you've texted first because oftentimes... I might be driving, I might be with my kids, I might not be able to have that conversation and then, or I might not be in the office where I'm gonna be able to deal with the information. So um, just having it, having something that I can land on when I'm ready, is great. Um, and and maybe that's particular to me because I, I'm pretty flexible with my business hours. So I'm not like in the office nine to five, Monday to Friday. So um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's one thing. Um, secondly, definitely, uh, estimate what you have conservatively because as a home delivery service if we're if we're planning on 200 bunches of beets we need to get 200 bunches of beets um, because otherwise somebody's going to be short so um, whereas in a retail situation that might be easier to deal with with home deliveries we've got pre-orders and we need to fill them um, so that's one thing secondly um, thirdly that was second <laughs> mm -hmm. um, quality is important for every unit because of that so so we we will happily pay the price that you need and want to deliver quality, but we need the quality. So, you know, if if some things have, you know, if you've if you're sending some squash where there's a little bit of soft softness starting to happen around the stem end, or there's, you know, rodent bites or whatever, we're not able to send that out to a customer. So that's gonna be a loss for us. So we we do need to have um good quality on everything and consistently. So if you are somebody who has staff working with you, that's part of your training to let your staff know that this is a home delivery service and they need the quality. Uh, okay, so that would be number three. Number four, yes, we, we do need it packaged in boxes that are at least of similar sizes so they can stack. We don't have tons of cooler space. And so if it's something going in the cooler, we need to be able to stack it uh, at least probably five or six boxes high. So they need to be solid boxes that aren't gonna fall apart and they need to be similar in size. Uh, if you're 
if you're using boxes that are different, um, labeling is important too. So popping a sticker on or a piece of tape on the front that says kohlrabi 12 count or whatever is really going to be helpful for us. Um, what else? And then in terms of delivery arrangements, we typically are pretty flexible in working with growers. Um, as you know, it, it could be the timing can vary a little bit. So that's something we should have a conversation about, like how is the produce getting to us so that it's going to work on both ends. And um, we don't have all of we don't have pallet lifts or that kind of thing. So we are going to be hand bombing at our end. So just be aware of that, I guess. That's not going to be a big issue for, for most types of orders. But um, when wild flight comes down with sometimes four, six, eight pallets for us, it, it does take us, it will take us probably half an hour to unload. So if you're uh, bringing us a wholesale order, that might be something to consider as well. How about when a supplier has to deliver some awkward or bad news about a commitment? What's uh, What can you say about do's and don'ts there? Oh, let me know that earlier the better, because um, that is something we can manage at our end if, if we hear of it sooner than later. So if we've planned on Wednesday that you'll have 200 bunches of beets and by Friday you're looking at your crop and you're like, uh, it's going to be 100 max, let me know. And then I've got time to maybe round some up from another farmer or communicate that to my customers. In some cases, I haven't, you know, especially if it's an add-on item. It, it will be selling on my website throughout the weekend. So if I know by Friday that there's only going to be 25 bunches of arugula instead of 50, I cap it right away and maybe maybe it's not even a problem yet. So the sooner the better with uh, any shortages. Lisa, I'm, I'm going to move on to one last question that is less related to this topic. So is there anything else you want that we you feel we missed or you want to say about this, uh, about managing the relationship? I guess one other thing would be the, the harvest handling will, if so, for a newer grower that's used to taking something directly to market, they may not, they may not realize, uh, especially with greens, like how to harvest in a way that's going to be, that's going to promote longevity. So I, I hope people understand that harvesting earlier in the day and getting it into the cooler right away is really important, but occasionally we'll, we will get something that's a bit wilted from a new grower and, or too wet. That's another thing because people are washing sometimes in pretty simple washing stations and may not have the ability to properly dry things. So, you know, salad mix that comes in wet, it might look fresh and lovely on Tuesday, but by Thursday it's looking soggy and there's a brown muddy puddle in the bottom of the bag. So paying attention to how the quality is going to be sustained throughout you know the next few days is important as well because we're not delivering it the day that we receive it usually if we're delivering something monday or receiving something monday we're delivering to customers tuesday wednesday thursday and for most things the quality is still awesome or it should be still awesome but if that's not something farmers are used to doing um, that is maybe a learning curve as well and i'm sure there's lots of resources out there we can we can share information as well um, that's, I guess, something I would comment on as well. Well, on that note, I'll put you in the hot seat a bit and, and just and just ask you, like, how many, mm -hmm. with a new supplier, how many strikes, I don't mean this is planned out ahead of time, but how many strikes do you, would you estimate they get from you as far as, like, dealing with issues like that? Like, because ah. passing that feedback on can be really awkward. Are you someone who is more likely to just let the relationship kind of fall away no. or are you going to tell them when you find these issues like how do you deal with that personally no i i definitely would uh i definitely would share that information and and i do 
I hope I do pretty regularly. Um, it's, you know, there's feedback. I'm not always in the warehouse, so sometimes the feedback's coming to me from staff. So it might there might be a bit of a delay because I'm usually in, involved in the unloading. I might not see every item. So it might be later in the week that I find out like, oh gosh, like, you know, a third of those squash had moldy spots, right? And then I definitely will share that information. Is it a strikeout situation? No, it, but it depends on how the farmer deals with it. Like I, I do expect um, at least some learning from it. So, you know, if it's in some cases, I would be hoping to be offered a credit um, for the portion that I couldn't sell. Um, and I'm happy to pass it back if they have another use for it. That's, I would say that's more rare because especially with local growers and especially with newer and smaller growers, um, I'm going to want to support them as much as possible and probably won't want to ask for a credit, but I would want to ask for change. So I, I would want to see it different and better next time. And that means that they need to be open to receiving the feedback. And I might even want to hear like a sorry, <laughs> because that's, that's going to like instill my trust that they're going to try to do something different next time. Right. So what I, what I'd rather not hear is a defense of, well, like, Oh, this happened, this happened, this happened. Like, of course those things can happen. And I don't mind hearing an explanation, but I'd love to hear what can be done different or better next time too. I, I bet, so. I bet sometimes you wish like a, a, a grower or all your growers could see the cascade of effects that happens in the warehouse or on your side when, you know, a third of the squash are discovered to have rodent yeah. marks or whatever. Or, or it could be a sizing issue. Like maybe the squash are supposed to be between one and a half and two pounds. And the, I know that can be hard to estimate in advance, but if they all come in at one pound, that means I'm giving a lower value to the customers and I'm paying for more than I'm getting. And so, um, unfortunately at that point, offering a lower price doesn't help me that much because because I'm going to profit on it, but my customers are going to lose out. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, and that's just a matter of learning to estimate in that particular case, or it may be a matter of quality control in another case. Um, but, but we need to learn and grow together if we're going to continue to work together. Cause if every time I buy from grower a, the stuff is smaller than it's supposed to be, or the bunches are limp, or there's too much moisture in the bag, then at a certain point, yeah, it's going to be like, well, it's going to be hard to work together and get the quality we need to give out to our customers. So, so learning and growing together is important, I think. Okay. Shifting gears for one last question, Lisa, um, yeah. the marketplace and consumer be customer behavior. Have you observed mm -hmm. any, is there, are there, you do not have to have an answer to this question, but if, I just wanted to ask you about <laughs> if you've made any insights or observed any changes in uh, like trends in the market in customer behavior, and this could be in relation to COVID or or not. But any 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 observations you've made to that effect in the last I don't know year two three. Uh, well, I'd say in the last ten years, I've definitely noticed people are much more focused on local than organic, which I think is awesome. I just I just do encourage people not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think it's still important to to have local and organic when possible. So I, I often hear that even from some of my staff, but also customers like, you know, I really don't care that it that much that it's organic. I just want it to be local. And I 100% support that, that supporting our local economy, but this is also our local environment. So I'm, I'm hoping that people will, will still consider the importance of organic. Um, in the last, since COVID, definitely much more interest in supporting our local food system and delivery. Uh, so, you know, we, we had to right away when COVID hit cap our 
new customers. We haven't really signed on any new customers since March, and we've been busier than ever just with our existing customer base. Um, we used to run a weekly Saturday sale, which we haven't done since COVID and likely won't do again. Um, so we have signed up some of the our regular Saturday customers for home delivery, but otherwise we haven't been open to new customers. And um, that that's just been a choice because of, um, I guess, the space we're in both physically and mentally. Like it, we we can operate well and offer good service in in our warehouse with a cap of you know, 500 to 600 customers per week. If we tried to double that to a thousand, which we probably could have done back in March, uh, we would have had to move not only our warehouse, but also our, our mental capacity. <laughs> Myself as an entrepreneur, this is what I, this is what I feel like I can do well and offer to the world. And um, other beyond that, I'm, I've been really happy to direct customers to your business and to Jay's business at Farmbound and um, some of the other local services that are offering delivery. So um I, I will always believe that a uh, food system is stronger with many players and it's great when we can support each other. Um, so that I guess in terms of observing consumer behavior, I've just noticed there's a uh, highly increased demand for local and for delivery since COVID. And prior to that, um, I, don't, I don't know. It's I mean, you see things come and go like kale will come and go in popularity. I think Lately, it's been Brussels sprouts. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear what you think about um, changes in customer behavior and interests. And am I getting anywhere nearer to what you're asking? There was no, there was no target. I just, you, you've given okay. me, you've given me a great answer. It's <laughs> no, it was, it was just, you know, you're, you're in a position to, to at least make obser observations in your own business. No, that was great. Lisa McIntosh, uh, speaking on behalf of the farming community, uh, you are a treasure and. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you for getting on the phone to talk about this stuff. I think it'll be uh, helpful for listeners. Uh, thanks very much, Jordan. Nice to talk to you. And, and uh, I really appreciate what you do for the community and what COABC does for the, the growing community. All right. That's it for now. Special thanks for our podcast music goes out to Matt Eckel, a jazz flutist and father of organic rancher Aubin Banwell. You can search for Matt's music online. Eckle is spelled E-A-K-L-E. -E. I also want to thank all of the guest interviewers you'll be hearing in this series as we re-release it over the next few months. Gavin Wright, Molly Thurston, Abra Bryn, Tristan Banwell, and Emma Holmes. Thanks to all of you for your contributions to the show. Okay, everyone. I hope you enjoyed what you just heard. I'm Jordan Marr, and I will talk to you soon.